Welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, our last chapter of the book of James. We're in the general epistles. We've already gone through the entire book of Hebrews. Now we're digging into an epistle written by James. He's writing to the 12 tribes. And here's the reality, these 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, basically, he's writing to a representation, a remnant from each tribe that says, yes, we're Jewish and we love Jesus. But now here's the deal. As they're spread throughout, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're surrounded by a strong community. So there's this constant tension that they're facing on multiple levels, on multiple tests. James is constantly saying to those that are out on the fringes, out on their own, or even if they're surrounded by a couple people, please don't give in. James 4, which is where we went yesterday, if you guys remember, there's this test in the first 12 verses of this worldly indulgence. Like, will I give into the ways of the world, fall into a spirit of pride so that we fall? Will we give into the things of the world? It's another test. And then finally, in verses 13 through 17, at the very, very end, we didn't have an opportunity really to get into this very much at all. But it is a test of dependence upon the Lord. Will we do his will or will we do our will? The book of James, you know, I hate to describe it as one big test, but here's the beauty of this whole thing. You guys remember what our one word, our, our phrase is? Kevin, what's our phrase? Perfect law. Perfect law. When you understand that the perfect law is through Christ, then all of these tests, it leads to freedom. You don't have to in James 1.25. If you look intently on the, the perfect law of freedom and you persevere in it and you're not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works. Look at this. This person will be blessed in what he does. These tests don't become weights. They become blessing. They become a reflection of who we are in Christ. So when you hear this, I don't want you to feel like I have to study so much. I don't want you to feel like I have to live a certain way. I think in Christ, when you understand what he's done in your life, You'll have every desire to walk these things out. And that leads us to James 5. James 5, in fact, the first 11 verses, here's another test. MacArthur describes it as a test of a patient, he, he phrases it this way, patient endurance. Now let's begin to unfold this text in James 5, verse 1. It's the last chapter of this general epistle. It says, come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. And look what he says in verse 2. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. You know that the smell of moths, it's the worst. You ever gone into like an older person's home? <laughs> or like, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you smell, what do you smell, Kevin, when you go into older people's homes sometimes? There's a different odor. Yeah, and it's mothballs. It's like this, it's just like, Oh, I wonder how long that's been there, right? That's kind of the mentality, not default because of the elders don't care. It's just, it is what it is, right? It's just, that's the smell. <laughs> and now you take it one step farther. Uh, people that have this wealth to put all their stock in this material stuff. He's like, look, here's the reality. Your wealth is going to be ruined and moths are going to come in and eat your clothes. This stuff does not, it doesn't sustain itself. He continues on in verse 3. He says, look, your silver and your gold are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Well, that's, you stored up treasure 
in the last days. So here's this image, Kevin, this picture of of the rich, right? And the rich putting their stock in. Mindy has a little bit of uh, of the gold over here. All of that's going to come and go, right? So Kevin, who's he? Rich, this is a, a simple question, but just so we're all on the same page, who's he talking to in this audience right now? He's talking to wealthy people. So is he talking to wealthy people that surround the believers? Or is he talking to the believers that have submitted over to the wealth? Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, where do you think he's, where's the direction that he's going in this? You guys got any thoughts? I think he's talking to uh, believers who are putting their trust in just how wealthy they are and their silver and their gold and their possessions. I think when you go to verse seven for a second, it says, therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. There's a thought maybe behind this that in the first six verses, he's addressing this like, please don't put your stock in these things, guys. I want you to put your stock in the Lord, right? I think that's a fair comparison, right? So he's talking through these finances. Something that I didn't get into at all, and I I really wish I would have earlier, but I think it applies to today. Nelson's commentary talks about the power of money and how here you have in these first couple verses, right? In first three verses, when you put in your stock, all of this, like it, it, it doesn't last, right? The world will say this. Nelson's commentary says the world says that money brings freedom. The world says that money brings security. Nelson's continues on with this list and says the world is is money is really what matters. The world says money is power. Nelson's continues on with a couple more. The world says that money establishes your net worth. The world also says money is what makes you and identifies you as success. The world also says money gives you options. Two more things. The world will say money is your reward. You save, you spend. The money is your reward. That's how you know you've been rewarded. And then the the world also says what we fight in our flesh. Money is your possession. You can spend it however you want. On the flip side, money doesn't bring you freedom. Actually, uh, only Christ can bring you freedom. Money doesn't bring you security, only security in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is what brings security. Money is what matters, is what the world says, but the Word says Christ ultimately, in Matthew 6, 33, Christ is what matters. I think it's interesting that the world says money is power, but we know that in Acts 1, 8, only the power can come from the Holy Spirit. When we talk about your net worth found in money, the world says this, but Christ, clearly uh, your worth is based on what the word of God says, not what the bank account says. You know, I bring these things up because here you have in the first three verses, there's an establishment of you want to endure till the end, but what do you do? You try to figure out how can I make more money to get through this process? I think this is a reality of what we do. Uh, the word, the world says money makes you successful, but We know that only success comes from knowing what the Lord says. Just a couple more here. We've heard money gives you options, but I love Ephesians 3.20. Can we go there? I just want us to sit there for a second. We think money is what gives us options, but in Ephesians 3.20, no, it's the Lord that gives us the options. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you. God is the one that says, here you go, Kevin. Here you go, Rich. Here you go, Tom. Here you go, Max and Dina. The reality is, is God is the one that gives you options 
when you're in Wausau, Wisconsin, whether you're in Devil's Lake with Bruce Dick or whether you're truly in Washington with Aaron Collins, God will give you the options. We don't have to come up with it because of money. By no means am I implying any of these people. I'm just, I want to encourage you, those that are listening, God will open up the doors for you like you've never imagined. I think it's interesting, um, I think for our crew, sometimes it's natural you want to go that route, but you got to trust that God's going to open that door. I think when you think through the options, let God move. And when you look at these believers right here, right? There's a tension and what do they want to do? I'm going to get through so I can earn more. I'm going to get through, you know, you, you think through our folks in Flint, Michigan. There's a tension. Do I want to focus on more money or do I want to depend upon him? I think any location, any person that we picture, we all struggle with this. Am I right? This is an issue. And I think this is what this is what James is saying. Guys, I want everybody to keep your stock in me. Where's your kingdom stock? It's kind of a fun picture, and I, I love this money is your reward, the world says, but God is, I mean, that just sounds so obvious, God is our reward. <laughs> and then finally, uh, when we think about money as our possession, I love the fact that uh, God, is our, God is our ultimate possession. There's nothing greater than, than Him. You know, I, you say that's a long list to go through, but you guys, this is, this is what people deal with. And when things get tough, we put our stock in certain things, myself included. And he just says, man, go back to me. Uh, I hope you guys hear my heart. Whenever I said places or locations, it's an encouragement. (laughs) Uh, He says in verse four, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of the hosts. In other words, those that are putting their stock because they think if they hold back their wages, those that have lived luxuriously on the land have indulged yourselves, you have fattened your hearts for the day of the slaughter. In other words, it's kind of a weird picture, but it's like as we prepare to endure, uh, we're preparing by stocking up. And, you know, it's kind of like the end times hoarders. Right. You're bringing everything you can. Some people are doing this with just their material goods. If you're doing that with the material goods, here's the deal. You're basically fatting yourselves like the cows, like the animals for the day of slaughter. In other words, you're making you remember that. Hey, I'm spiritually fat here. This is the material fat here. (laughs) Man, you're just preparing yourself for judgment. Like judgment will come on those who put their stock in pleasure and in luxury. In fact, John MacArthur said, like fattened cattle ready to be slaughtered, the rich had indulged themselves to the limit. There's an overindulgence that's happening in society, and it's creeping in, in James' world, to the body of believers. Be careful, he says. Because in verse 6, he says, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. So think about this. The rich are storing up their their funds. The rich are holding back wages in this text from those that are doing the labors. And then it even in verse 6, there's this what John MacArthur says is controlling the courts. That's what they're talking about here. They're actually controlling courts with their money. In other words, this word condemn means to sentence. And what's happening is that the rich were using the courts to commit, hang in here, judicial murder. Okay, so what they're doing is they're bringing people in with their money uh, in order to control the courts. There's a lot we could talk about on that one. Uh, it's a political game people play. 
as believers, we cannot give in to these things, those around us, and we can't be a part of it. And that's why in James 5, 7, I got to tell you, I love this verse. Therefore, brothers, in other words, believers, be patient until the Lord's coming. Now, the Lord's coming implies, Kevin, not the first coming, but the The second coming. That's right, the return. So here's what he says, like the second coming. I need you to wait until this point. So see, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. I want to just explain this because I need you to be patient with people is what he's implying. I need you to be patient in this process. It wasn't until I really began to study this. And sometimes it just it takes a while to get this. The early rain that he's talking about. Be patient until it receives the early rain and the late rains. Okay, the early rain in Israel, okay, would have fallen during October or November time frame. Okay, what this does is, is that the early rain softens, okay, it softens the ground for what, Kevin? For sowing. That's right, for planting. Everybody on the same page? Now, here's the, here's the cool. It says, you have to be patient when it receives the early rain and the late rains. So now the latter rain... Okay, this is a bigger picture here. Okay, the latter rain is it falls in the month of March and April. And it immediately comes before the spring harvest. This is an awesome picture here. Think about this. The rain comes, the planting takes place, right? Softens the ground. Now the latter rain comes right before the spring harvest. And I love how MacArthur explains this. He says, as the farmer waits patiently from the early rain and the latter rain for his crop to to ripen, so must as believers, we must patiently wait for the Lord's return. Christ has come. And now we're waiting for the great harvest. And sometimes when we have to wait in this time of testing of patient endurance, do not put your stock in the finances. Don't put your stock in, I'd love my bonds and my stocks and my mutual funds to go up. I have no problem if people do that, just so you know. I have no problem if people invest into the real estate market. I have no problem if people invest into businesses. I don't have any problem with that. But here's what he's saying. Don't put your stock in that. Don't put your hope in that. I want you to have an understanding of a patient endurance because the harvest is right around the corner. Kevin, can you go to Galatians 6, verse 9? Galatians 6, verse 9. Scripture says, So we must not get tired of doing what is good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. What if, what if (laughs) we need to keep going? Why? Because we might be a part of the latter rain. Can you imagine if that we keep going, meaning the body of Christ, if we don't always work on the resources part. And the reason I'm going with the resources is because James does. Instead, if we patiently endure by keep going and declaring the gospel, advancing the kingdom, being bold with who we are in Christ. Can you imagine if we actually got to participate in seeing the latter rains, which means we get to participate possibly in the next great harvest. What an awesome picture this could be. So he says, you'd be patient. But Kevin, when you plant, do you still have to, there's things that you still can be doing, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, look what verse 8 says. 
So in relation to verse seven of the farmer waiting, he says, "Okay, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So you're preparing for what's coming. You're either preparing for the harvest physically, right? In the farmer's case, but you're also preparing for the great harvest because Jesus Christ himself is coming back. The Lord's coming is near. John MacArthur says uh, he's speaking to a group of believers who are literally on the fringe of maybe giving in to persecution. So what do you do, Kevin? You put your focus on the rich. You show favoritism in hopes of getting more. And he says, don't do that, you guys. Be patient, strengthen your hearts because the harvest is right around the corner. And then he says in verse 9, brothers, don't complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. So as you're patiently waiting, as your heart is getting stronger, don't complain and grumble about somebody else. You take care of yourself. Because you know when uh, you start complaining, I think it's a fair statement, it's a form of sin. And Rich, we had talked about this. Instead of using the phrase perfect law, one of of the phrases that we used was that Jesus could be the judge. Don't complain about other farmers. Don't complain about other people. Don't complain about those around you. You take care of yourself. And here's what I love. The farmer is waiting for the precious fruit. Your drive, you guys, should be to keep going because you could experience precious fruit. Kevin, you've been in the ag world for a while. What do you think precious fruit means? It's a a unique way to describe, isn't it? Something? Yeah, because it's... Any fruit is somewhat precious because it's it's your livelihood. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's it's unique. It's special. It's it's something that doesn't come along often. What if that's your drive? What if that's yours and mine? Drive is that if we keep going, we could experience precious fruit. It says in verse 10, there's another language here now. We shift from a farmer to prophets. Brothers, take the prophets. This is such a cool picture here. Remember, we talked about James being a mini Proverbs. This is kind of what it feels like. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. In other words, Kevin, we're actually talking about the prophets of the Old Testament, right? This is, and they're talking about Jesus, right? Who spoke in the Lord's name And these prophets are an example of suffering and patience. See, it says in verse 11, see, we count as blessed those who have endured. I mean, look at one prophet. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So one example very clearly is that Job endured. The prophet endured. His life exemplified patient endurance until the end. He says in verse 12, now above all, Okay. Now, remember we talked about the times of testing. There's different types of testing. One is the testing of endurance uh, and, and patience. Here's another one that MacArthur identifies in verse 12. There's a testing of truthfulness. Now, above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Your yes be must be yes and your no must be no. So that you won't fall under judgment. In other words, what you say, you better do it. If you're going to say yes, then yes. If you say no, then fine. Say no. I felt very, very Italian right there. So that you won't fall under judgment. In other words, what you say, don't take lightly. It's kind of a cool picture here. And scripture says in verse 13, 
uh, another test of not just patience and endurance, not just of truthfulness. What you say is what you're going to do. But I like what MacArthur says is the last truth. I guess one of the last tests is that there's a test of prayerfulness. All right. Is anybody among you suffering? He should pray. If anybody among you is cheerful, he should sing praises. Kevin, Rich had a great weekend. Rich and his family did an incredible run called the Tough Mudder. Rich is awesome that Rich finished this. He's excited about it. We got to see a couple pictures. Kevin, I should start seeing you sing it, right? To sing for him? Well, I think you should start singing. Rich, you should start singing. I sang on Saturday. Yeah, right, you did. Uh, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. (laughs) I'm sure I sing somewhere. (laughs) No, but here's the deal. If, If anybody in this group right here, we should start praying if you're suffering. Scripture says if anybody's cheerful, he should start singing praises like... Don't you love it when people walk in a room and they're whistling? Somebody told me I had an old man whistle. I had a little vibrato in my whistling, I think. I don't whistle as much anymore. I do think it's a sign of, and singing is a sign of just cheerfulness. And that's what he's just saying. Like, this is a, 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 like, walk this thing out in verse 14. All right, so if anybody among you is sick. So we've gone through if anybody's suffering, if anybody's cheerful. Now, if anybody is sick, Scripture says he should call for the elders of the church, which <laughs> this is a really funny question or funny statement. And it might offend somebody, but it's the word of God. If you're sick and you don't have elders in your church, what do you do? Right. Well, we have deacons. Scripture doesn't call for deacons. Well, we have uh, a board. Scripture, Kevin, doesn't call for a board, does it? If anybody among you is sick, it says he should call for elders of the church. This is not meant to be controversial. It's just practically, if somebody's sick, this is who you call on. And then what do the elders do? The elders then should pray over this sick person. And here's what's crazy. They're praying over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. So to me, this is a very tangible way to address the sick in your congregation. You have elders, you have anointing oil, and you pray over them. All I like to do is just, here's a pot, stir it a little bit and just say, hey, do we have this in our church? Because I believe the scripture gives us direction and examples. And I know, I know, I know. Hey, we just, they function as elders. I just, I just like to encourage you with the word. I just like to get us on track. And where, where are we going with this? Well, I believe we could see more people possibly healed. Scripture says in James 5, I'll just tell you this. When my little daughter was sick, Maya, and she was at Children's Hospital in Dallas, I actually, I, a ton of people prayed for us. A ton. I just, it's, I just felt overwhelmed by But I remember when the elders specifically came to the hospital and they anointed our family. I remember that. Why did we do that? Because Scripture says you can. When people don't have the Word of God, when I'm just a hearer of the Word of God but not a doer, guess I don't know how to walk this thing out. We need this. And scripture says in verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Man, this is loaded right here. Verse 15 is loaded. So are you saying that if I believe that this person who is sick can be healed, the scripture says, Kevin, what will happen? The Lord will raise him up. The Lord will heal this person because of faith. Look, man, I don't understand this because I have prayed over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And over and over and over for sick people. And Kevin, I don't see a whole lot of people raised up at times. I have no problem saying this, but it doesn't stop me from praying, nor should you. All I know is that the prayer of faith will save the sick person. Remember the guy that had, uh, he was on the mat 
Remember this? And then they lowered him down and they said, because of your friend's faith, this guy is healed. I actually think James is probably referencing something of that parable that Jesus is talking about. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. Well, Kyle, I had a friend who went through the sickness and they didn't make it. Does that mean you're calling me out and said I didn't have faith? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying James 5.15 says this can happen. And I want you to believe it just like I want to believe this. So let's keep praying that the Lord would restore and heal. My wife and I have a very, very close friend right now that's going through this. And I believe with all my heart that this person's going to be healed. I got to have faith. I got to get to that point. I want to put my stock in something bigger than me. And his name is Jesus. Now, here's the deal. If somebody has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, Kevin, this is where it gets kind of loaded. The first part is already loaded. And then the second part is saying, wait, is this person sick because he sinned? I mean, Kevin, this is there's something here, right? Uh, The only thing I can tell you is that there are times that people are sick and it has nothing to do with their sins. Scripture says that. Remember that. Remember that. Hey, this guy, what, what sin has this guy done? And Jesus says, nothing. I just wanted to glorify the Lord in this process. So clearly there are examples that because of sickness, it's not because of sin. But there are also times is that maybe, maybe the elders are coming so that you can confess your sins to them. Maybe because it says in verse 16, look what it says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Maybe part of this healing process is identifying the sins in your life so that you can be forgiven. I will just tell you this, me personally, when I get anxious and I get worried, it causes a lot of things in my body. (laughs) Like I might get a headache, not a long one, but I might get a headache. I might start getting sick. Like I do believe there are certain things that create sickness, right? Scripture says, confess this, pray for another, and then you're going to be healed. I'm not a, a medical doctor and I don't understand how this works. Uh, from a spiritual standpoint, Scripture says, look, if there are things that you need to be healed from, just confess them so that you can move on. Please don't hear me say, if you have a loved one, that is because of their sins. I, I, I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say there are times that that's the case and times that there's not. And I would just say this, either way, Scripture says the intense prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. So you want to know what I want to say? Is that every person needs people praying for you in order to get through this situation. Because the prayer of a righteous person can move mountains. How do I know? Because it says in verse 17, Elisha was a man with a nature like ours. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. A man of God was used for it to not rain for three years and six months. Are you kidding me? That's the kind of prayer I want to have. In verse 18, it says, Then he prayed again, and the sky rained, gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Verse 20, Let him know that whoever turns a sinner, this is, is, uh, I'm sorry, Kevin, verse 19, thanks. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him back. Now, Kevin, you could say, is this a different proverb, or is this all building on each other? It could be building on what we just talked about. If there's somebody sick, what do you want them to do? You want them to... Turn back to the Lord. Are we saying that they're sick because of unforgive sin? Unforgive sin? <laughs> Unforgiven sin? I, all I know is that if you and I help somebody who strayed away from the truth and they, you turn them back to the Lord, Scripture then says, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. Wow. Woo! It's a biggie. When a sinner who's gone away turns back to the Lord. All I would just say is, look, Jesus can offer full freedom. 
It doesn't matter what you've done, how much you've done, or what you're doing. I would just tell you this, Jesus, because he is the perfect law of freedom, wants to give you freedom from the bondage that you're in. Let's pray through this. Let's study the word of God together and let's walk this thing out. That's really the book of James. James says, he's with you. You just have to draw near to him in order to see that. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for listening to the book of James. Tomorrow, we start the book of 1 Peter. Thanks.